Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, Scotland are top of the league, but we're still no happy. Captain Robertson urges fans to be positive. And there are fans again at Pitodre and Dingwall. I'm Andrew Slavin, and like Steve Clark, I've got a couple of good characters with me in the show. First up, it's The Telegraph's JJ Bull, and we've got Scotland's biggest fan, who's always positive, Laura Brannan. Hello. 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 <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, both of your hellos perfectly sum up um, my intro. Yeah, are you positive, Laura? How are you feeling after the last two performances from Scotland? Um, well, performance-wise, I'm not positive at all. But oh, in okay. terms of um, overall feeling from a double header, we won. We're top of the league, um, and we're all we're in a good position. It's all going well, and let's not get carried away with ourselves. <laughs> Interesting, JJ. We we had um, Gavin McCann wrote into us uh, with a very simple question: Are we rubbish? <laughs> and why aren't we if we're top of the league? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. How do you sum this up? It's it's quite complicated, isn't it? Like, there's just so much to go into. We'll have to go through it, but stage and stage. It's not that we're t- terrible. Scotland's in this difficult situation where I think if we played some in a way like um, Ireland, or Northern Ireland, sorry, not Ireland, uh, in Northern Ireland or uh, Iceland, for example, really compact and defensive, and just wait for a chance to get up maybe five times in a game and take mm. a chance. Uh, we do quite well, but our players are just technically a lot better than than some others. So I'd say Scotland's players individually are better. So yeah. you, you can't. I don't think you can get away with doing that when you can play more expansive football. I mean, look at Ireland. You got Stephen Kenny is trying to introduce like high pressing <laughs> with this team that's maybe not quite used to it. But it takes time to change any style. I just Scotland's kind of kind of stuck. Like Clark's gone back to this like a system. We'll talk about it more later on. But it's gone back to. Um, something a little like we used to have in Euro 96 and World Cup 98, so it's very retro. I mean, everything, everyone's wearing 90s clothes these days, aren't they? So that's maybe how they fashion. It's all cyclical. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it, but both yes and no. Yeah, <laughs> a simple question, but a complicated answer. Well, listen, we're going to be talking about the game. Apologies to Paul Scotland Flag um, on Twitter because uh, he asked us not to talk about anything but the game. Uh, or sorry, to talk about anything else. Um, but that's exactly what we're going to do. Sorry. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, you know you make me want to shout. The Harvey's in and equalises with a sumptuous finish for Israel. Trestle sliding it through here. And it's put away by Jakob Peshek. And Scotland's worst fears are realised here. Homer in some amount of space here. It's a lovely cross and it's a lovely finish. And it's Lyndon Dykes in only his second game for Scotland. Here comes Christie and it's right in the corner. Two penalties in two games, and Scotland needed to turn it around here, and they have done. So yeah, Scotland faced Israel, and despite taking the lead through a Ryan Christie penalty, they couldn't see out the victory as Erin Zahavi carved up the Scottish defence to equalise. 
Then on Monday, uh, we played the Czech reserves. They came out with a point to prove and got off to a predictable start as they opened the scoring. I didn't really think much about this game. I knew we would go down uh, 1-0, but uh, it wasn't too long before Scotland were level thanks to Lyndon Dykes, which is good for him to get off the mark. And then we got a winner from the spot. Uh, through Ryan Christie again. But it didn't feel like a win. It was a bit more like an anxiety test. Um, but we've said it in the intro, we're top of the league. Everything's rosy, right? Uh, 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 like a creaking <laughs> door, like in a horror show. That's what it feels like. Like, I, I kind of thought, like, we can't, we cannot mess this up. Everyone was saying, look, we all know the script, we all know what's going to happen. And I thought, even Scotland can't, do a Scotland here. This is it's it's too predictable for Scotland to mess up against what was it the Czech C team? It was it, well, yeah, because the, because the Czech the the first team, let's say, um, they had uh, coronavirus go through their camp, right? And they played Slovakia anyway. Um, but after the game, the 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 Czech FA came out and cancelled the game, basically. Uh, and then UEFA stepped in, or oh, sorry, this, not this UEFA. Was crazy. FIFA yeah, stepped in. It was a bit was of a bizarre mental. scenario, right? So I think both both camps were a bit caught out by this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, essentially, yeah, just... Laura, Scotland's main team, their best team that they could put out, played the third, maybe fourth best team that Czech Republic could have played out. So we should have been really good in this game. But why weren't we? <laughs> oh, I mean, even before we get into the, the tactics and analyse the game, the, can we just get a touch on how crazy a situation this was? It almost felt like this was everything that would normally happen to Scotland. We The way that there was just so much bad luck through their, their squad in terms of COVID. So I think what happened was, I think it was their masseuse was positive and then the two players that had come into contact with them had to self-isolate. And then... On the day of the game, I think somebody else in the coaching team tested positive. So they then retested everyone in the squad. Everyone was negative, so they played the game. I don't really get that part of why they were allowed to play the game, but afterwards they had to self-isolate. That's a bit strange of a kind of grey area there. But the fact that they then came out after the game and just decided, no, we're not playing you, <laughs> we're, we're not turning <laughs> up. <laughs> and we were all a bit like, what? what? So the SFA didn't know, UEFA didn't know. We kind of um, thought it, we'd get the full three points straight up, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, think we were all checking out the, the rule books on a Friday night to see what we'd, how we'd get our 3 0 win out of it. Um, so it was all a little bit weird. It was all very much of a kind of Scotland scenario. It's normally that kind of happens to us, that kind of bad luck. Um, and then the other question I kind of it popped in my head was why were we not playing the Czech under 21 team? It felt as though it was a natural progression for them to then upgrade that squad to the first team, and then bring in their 19s to the under-21 tournament. So I'm not quite sure what the thinking was there in terms of saying, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. So essentially what they did was they brought in a load of players in their kind of mid-20s, late-20s, who are just kind of league players that have never really been good enough for the national team, alongside some that have retired from international football. So if you imagine Mm, it's kind of a bit like us calling up Liam Polworth and Jordan White to play alongside Charlie McGrew, that have just boys that have never really been given their chance before, never sure. really met even the other international boys and never really gelled with them. And they've been given like 48 hours to, to kind of pull together some sort of tactics. And to be fair to them, um, I think we all expected them to do well. And they did. They didn't really have anything to lose. And I think that kind of showed in their, their gameplay and their, their mentality. This this all started that 
the last two games, we should talk about Israel first as well, um, JJ, because one thing that we noticed is Steve Clark's doing chosen a new system for Scotland, but more of a three five two. What are you? What are your takes from this? Because I'm a. Bit, I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> good. I'm glad you said so. Explain though, because you're better right. at it than me. <laughs> it, it, it makes sense, right? So it makes sense for what we've got. Um, uh, where do we start? Like Scotland should. I think the Scotland I've always watched Euro '96 and World Cup '98. We had. It was mostly a back three that like uh, Craig Brown played, and um, and it's, you can see it's a back five. It's a back three. And then you're, uh, it's a five in defensive phases and the two strikers are meant to show people out wide and blah, 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 blah. But what we've got now is a back three um, that is composed of players who aren't really centre-backs. Scott McKenna is, and uh, I think they're okay in both games. But the first game against Israel, I had Kieran Tierney, who can play that position. doesn't mean he's great at it. But then you had Scott McTominay, who is an attacking midfielder. He's one of these players that gets, gets lumped into being defensive because he's tall and strong. So he looks tall, so people go, oh, he looks like a defensive player, but he's not. Now, when you look at statistics, you look at the way he plays for Man United, he's basically like an advanced ball-winning player. That makes sense. He's like uh, Fellaini. Mm, okay. Uh, so like he, he wins the ball high up. Um, his passing, if you look at any of his passing maps, it's always sideways. It's never progressive. It's always sideways. He wins the ball, it goes sideways. But the idea to put him at centre-back, because it's a position that people must know he can play, which is where he's, he's filled in a couple of times as a sub, I think, in even late in games for Man United. Yeah. But he's a midfielder. So you stick McTominay at centre-back, and the idea is, I think, that McTominay and Tierney, depending on phase of play and where the ball is, if it's left side, Tierney can then overlap, so Robertson can come inside. If it's the other side, McTominay can overlap for us, a bit like Sheffield United, that kind of overlapping centre-backs bit. But it might not even be that that's the idea. The idea might simply be that Tierney and McTominay are comfortable in the ball, so when Scotland have possession, rather than shelling it away, which has been a problem in the past not being able to progress it Tierney McTominay can take the ball two feet and play into midfield and we can move through the gears that way but it, it didn't really happen that way did it didn't really happen and I think there's like specific things specific reasons I don't think it, it worked for me I think when you play like Conte played this kind of system like a 3-5-2 with Italy in there what was the last Euros 16 what year are we in 16 16 was it years was it maybe the world? whatever he was last in charge of Italy you had them playing a similar thing, right? You had a big, tall lad up top and that. And uh, and the, the way they worked, the, the the system was different. But Scotland really spread out, I thought. And I think you have to be more compact to make this to work the way it should do. And I don't think you can get Robertson and Forrest on the ball in places they need to be. And all Israel had to do was funnel, like, let them funnel the ball down wide, block that off. Suddenly, you've not got any real input from Forrest and Robertson. And then you're relying on like John McGinn as a second striker? Trying to run in behind or Ryan Christie, yeah. more so I think, but it, it it certainly seemed like a system that the players were not used to, and a lot of the the build up to the game in the pre match interviews, Steve Clark saying, "You don't really need to coach players at this level; you just rely on their abilities and their understanding." Well, that's um, true of the of the game, which is which made perfect sense, but it didn't feel like the players were really getting it. No, but then um, if you think if you think like McTominay, for example, right, is a international level player, but he's an international level probably midfielder. And the yes. reason some players are amazing defenders is because they have mastered all the skills involved with that particular position. As soon as you move them, it doesn't mean they're instantly going to be as good. They're suddenly, I mean, they're just not as good. It's just the, the plain and simple of it. Who, who you, could Steve Clark play in that position? Because I know Declan Gallagher was on the bench. Could he have 
fit in in that role a bit better as a bit more of a natural defender maybe that was was my point as well though is because I was seeing this and I I, I don't want to keep saying like the biased Motherwell employee that always supports (laughs) the Motherwell players but Declan Gallagher is a natural defender and I know it sounds so simplistic to say play players in their position McTominay is a good footballer but it doesn't make him a good centre-back He's not a natural at it, and it's it's down to simple little things like just being able to read the ball and simple defensive skills that come through. It's not about flair, it's not about fancy football, it's just defenders know how to read certain situations that midfielders don't. And I know that sounds so simplistic, totally agree. but that, it works. You said right, Laura, though, see, see how many times he's caught out of position, McTominay, just even because yeah. you don't know exactly where to be when, and that's part of the skill set of being defenders, knowing exactly where to be in which phase of play. And that causes... Un- like, disruption in if you're if you're in any way panicked you don't have your defensive shape and you see McKenna's and having to recover like if one person's slightly in position it makes the ones who know they're in position have to adapt to try and cover it because they don't know the guy's going to realize in time to come back in and by the time that's happened you've got one little error which then allows another team to score and if you're playing against a team who are similarly talented like Israel are a good team right Czech Republic the first team was good I thought they had some good players out in that on the pitch um, for the game when are we recording this to it last night (laughs) Um, as for like Gallagher like like Laura I think he's a decent player and totally agree with him being a natural defender but we just don't really have great centre backs McKenna I think is good I think Cooper should be in there but then it can can come down it can come down to the the idea that Clark wants as many good footballers on the field as possible and I get what you were saying earlier on JJ that if McTominay's at the back with with Tierney on the left, McTominay on on the right, hmm. that if they can if they can be calm on the ball, they can play they can play passes um, quite simply to get get plays running. Yeah, but but the fact of the matter is, like surely Steve Clark will look at the last two games, he will analyse it and he'll go, I'm not doing that again. Maybe it, it certainly didn't feel right to to me watching the game it just didn't feel, the fact that he persisted with it in the Czech Republic game after the Israel game well I would look seems... at it another way to even though because if you look at um, so we beat Czech Republic right for one thing and we largely kept Israel quiet they were the better team in the second half I think that's one of the things to to remember from it and we we sort of won these games with it and I think if you analyse it you can see that we kept the games largely tight, weren't really too troubled off the ball. It just wasn't very fun to watch. But a lot of international footballers like that, and like I was sort mm. of touching on it at the start, with the you don't need great individual defenders to to make yourself a good defensive team. But the whole team's got to defend as a whole unit. And I think there were too many people just slightly unsure of what they're doing. And you think of the amount of time you've got, got to give them a lot of credit for getting into this game even and doing well because a lot of them are not fully out of preseason yet. There's players who aren't match sharp. You've also got like how many days has Steve Clark had to work with these players? Basically none. If you look, any new manager comes in, he needs about eighteen months at club level. I think I was talking to what's his name, um, Rennie Muhlenstein, the ex-Man United coach. He says eighteen months is what you need to, to to put your own stamp onto a football team, and that's at club level. International take forever, and I look at Ireland trying to change their entire system. It will take like a decade for that to work. And in Clark's is trying to do very simple things now, and maybe he'll, he just needs to give it more. Time, but how much time do you get as a national manager? None. The same saying all that. Why did he change so much for into the second game? Like the likes of Fleck and Armstrong and McLean yeah. are all boys that are based down south that are technically in their pre-season right now, and they were replacing boys like McGregor, uh, who is who's playing regularly just now in this in the Scottish Premiership. 
So why do you think he's he was? What was the mentality there? Was that to it, give it, him game time ahead of the playoff? It certainly felt a little bit like to me that well, that everything was pointing in a direction of a win for us. <laughs> so why not give these guys a chance? They're still they're still good professional footballers. Sure, it wasn't complacency. Um, yeah, but, but I don't think that was why. I, I would really? say it was, it's going to be to do with um, statistical analysis, data analysis of a uh, of run, running stats. So if you at any club, they've got all these other staff that are in the background, just analysts who just look at the numbers. That's when they wear those those mm. sports bra things. They've got the they can check GPS and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And when players stop making as many accelerations, decelerations that they're used to in a, in a certain game, then often uh, they'll just get uh, subbed off because it means you can keep. That position it affects your pressing, it affects the way you can run the midfield. So I think with a lot of the midfielders, like John McGinn looked like he was empty at the end of that uh, Israel game. Yeah, he was. So yeah. a player like that, but they'll look at the, the data and also their clubs will be in touch with them with their pre-season plan, what they've been doing to get to that fitness. And if you overload them, you can cause damage to them and it's just not worth doing it. Yeah, but And the players came in are all right. But JJ, they weren't, it wasn't the case. McGinn I can understand because he was also in pre-season, but players like Jack and McGregor are not. So they shouldn't have lower numbers because they should be up to complete fitness and match sharpness right now. Maybe, but then you like I would <laughs> I would equate it to like playing football manager when you've got players at hundred percent, right? And then you go into another if you play a game on a Sunday and a game on a Wednesday and you get some of your players, no matter how important they are, and they're on ninety one percent, you're thinking, ah, I'll probably get more out of the guy who's got hundred. And then you bring them again on later on and he's got that extra bit. Because also the game plan could have been with Czech Republic. These boys have maybe not played as much football. Let's keep the things tight as we can. Uh, let the guys with energy play the first part of this. The other boys are going to run out of energy before we are because we're in a better state. Put on the mm-hmm. boys like McGinn and that later on and then you can run them into the ground. It was a tricky tie, but that could be part of the game plan on top of the system tactics, which are two different I understand, things. Really. I, I understand that, JJ. That, that makes sense. It, it just felt a bit like, for me, that the amount of personnel changes brought less balance to the squad. But put the, part of that to one side for now, because the fact of the matter is we are top of the league and we are unbeaten um, in this league too after two games, albeit. But these were two games that we kind of felt like we should have performed a lot better in. But nonetheless, let's look at some positives. The one that stands out for me really is, and I'm, and I'm still yet to be decided on this, but Lyndon Dykes coming in, making his first... You know, start for for Scotland, and then he gets his goal against Czech Republic, which I think was a really, really good goal. I'm not fully with the media hype here that he is the answer and the answer to all of our prayers, but he certainly seems like a logical option. I would yes. agree with that. I would. I'm I'm not blown away by him. Um, I was never really that excited in terms of just seeing his name in the team sheet, but I think he did well, um, and I think he's he's done very well in terms of holding the ball up. He he's not. He, yes, he didn't have a lot of shots on target. Um, if that's the only way you want Got to no break service. down the the strikers, yeah, then that's exactly. a very kind of blinkered way, as you're saying, to look at it because he wasn't getting the service and no one was helping him. So yes, the the kind of. The uneducated eye might just look at that and go, oh, well, he got one goal. Um, yeah, he didn't exactly. really kind of change the game. But when you look at what was happening around him, uh, the only kind of real balls into the box in both games were coming from the flanks. Uh, it was kind of coming from the wing backs and it was few and far between. The midfield was, was getting drowned out. The, Christie had so much to do in terms of picking up from everyone else, let alone his own job. 
So he was I think, overplaying as well, Christy. Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. So many times he could played someone in, and on that, that note, opportunity with, against and against Czech Republic near the end. Oh, at the end, yeah. I was just to pick up on uh, on Laura's uh, bit on bit of crosses. I totally agree as well. Everything's going down the flanks for chance creation. Another thing as well, if you look at like the the economics of crossing, <laughs> the uh, statistically, it's one of the lowest. So it's different kinds of crosses, obviously, but crosses in the box for headers, I think, are probably about the lowest. I could be really wrong here, so some nerd's going to call me out. But if you look at like Man City and that, they don't just hurl the ball into the box for for a header because you don't score from them very often. Same with corners, you never score from them, right? But you do score with low balls into the box, often squared, which is why Man City and teams at Liverpool so often get these players in the half space, if you want to call it that, and cut it back into the box so it's a high-value chance. If you're just hitting early crosses into the box, all you're looking for is second balls, and it's really... I, I don't like that but then that's why Dykes is in there because then it gives you the option of being able to do that mm-hmm. so it's another reason I think the system is what it is because of the players available it suits the players we have but well yeah. maybe we'll have a few more players available when the English Premier League is back because um, one player that I, I think has been good for Scotland over the past few years Ryan Fraser um, he's got his new club he's, at, he's off to Newcastle um, we'll see how well that goes uh, but they'll obviously be back quite soon and that's a player that's going to come and get involved in the squad and the other thing as well is you you touched on that Steve Clark needs time JJ he's and a good manager funny, he's a very good manager he's a very good manager I can't believe I haven't said that yet um, but I just I was looking at previous Scotland managers after 10 games and he has pretty much exactly the same exactly. after 10 games as Gordon exactly. Strachan and Craig Levine Five Almost wins. as if there was no need to get distracted in the first place, eh? Fa- well, Imagine that. possibly. Well, this is the thing. So Steve Clark, exactly the same stats as Gordon Strachan and Craig Levine, by the way. Five wins, one draw, four <laughs> defeats. And the thing is, after 10 games, at least Gordon Strachan got an absolute belter of a game against England. We also beat Croatia home and away. What Oof. did they end up doing getting to the World Cup final? <laughs> no you know, one ever heard of them again. It's It's... We have Andrew Robertson asking for positivity from the fans, the fans to be positive about the squad, and yet there's no the only positiveness coming from the Scotland camp right now are results. And I get it, I totally get it, but I just want to believe that we're a good team. Well, what I would really you want rather? to believe what Laura, would you that we're a really good team. Laura, I this, mean, is, I... this is what it's like to support Aberdeen, by the way. <laughs> I, I feel like. Welcome. Um, so back back kind of more in the days when I um, when I had money and job wasn't kind of an option and I travelled a lot with partner I'm with my big group of friends. Um, I still big see now around friends. this <laughs> around this time of year I get a lot of the Facebook on the day posts, and it's always from like double header trips away and stuff and and all the memories from different Scotland games, and it's always kind of the same complaint of. Yes, we played really well, but we didn't get the result. So <laughs> why is everyone still happy about this? We don't have the points and we're nowhere near the top of the table. And I felt like I was the only one saying that's not good enough. I don't care how badly we play. I just want the points. <laughs> and yeah. then we'll worry about the performance afterwards. Whereas now that seems to be what ha- what's happening. We're getting all the luck for some strange reason. And everyone's a bit like... Oh yeah, I'm not really happy. Yeah, it's not really good, is it? It's like, what do you yeah. want? It's like, not. It's not window. in our nature, Laura. It's not in our but nature to is, be happy. I think that we are so caught up in this injustice of we haven't qualified for two decades and we're always cheated out of it and we're always getting no good luck on our side and we actually forget we're we're not a big nation and we're not a good football team in that sense. We're never going to be up there, and sometimes we punch above our weight. 
sometimes we've had very good campaigns and yes, we have been cheated out of it and been very unlucky towards the end. But do you think teams like Lithuania and Moldova and Malta Iceland. and oh, no, I'd say Iceland are much bigger than us to be fair. But mm-hmm. do you think these smaller teams that are more kind of League C, even League D, are coming away with two well, with four points out of six and analysing what went wrong and complaining that it wasn't good enough? Because I think their sort of fans would be like, this is great. Mm, and we kind of need to accept that we're at that level now. No, we are at that level. No, we're not. We no. are. We we have some individual good players, but we're uh, not at that level. See, we're we not come back to you. Come back to another video qualify. game reference to, um, to, to put my point on this one. So, <laughs> if we look at the FIFA ratings for uh, for the teams, and I know this is stupid, but genuinely, I quite I, I do value it. Right, let me just get the team stats up. Right, so Scotland's Scotland are rated. Um, there we go. So FIFA 20, the attack 68, midfield 76, defence 74. Uh, name one of those teams you just said. Lithuania was one. Yeah. Let's have a look. They don't even exist in the game. That's how much better <laughs> we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, joking aside, if you have like a if Scotland were, say, a four-star team, maybe it's probably a three, three and a half at the moment, right? Teams like those, they're, they're two and a half too. Because it's just weird international football. It's often... That the teams aren't very good, but they just and they're all defensive, right? And then it's just a little error, and because there's so much less cohesion in these teams, and you get um, in the club level, it's different. I wonder whether um, like England's on the right track now with all these young players they've got coming through, and they follow the kind of model you get from Germany and France, and uh, maybe we should be more like England. The thing is, we are. <laughs> whoa! <laughs> I'm going to gloss over that one. JJ, <laughs> completely. We lost all our be, listeners. If we want to be successful, we should follow the successful models. But hold That's on a right. minute. We are. You can't scoff at this. We're not a great. We're not a big team because we're in League B in the Nations League because oh, no, we're not we great. because we cruised our group. We got we got lucky last season with a group of two other teams who were beatable and we beat them twice. So we were very lucky in that and we got promotion. And right now we're currently bottom of pot three when it comes to the World Cup qualifying group, which will be drawn later in the year. So we're on the brink of going down to pot four, which is probably more our level. So if we do get into pot three, I think that is a success for our nation because then we'll get easier teams. Oh, clutching at straws a wee bit though. But look, we'll move on a Let's, let's not be England. That's, that's the moral let's- of the story. Let's hope that I kind of think things will will get better um, through time because let's face it, we've got Israel again on the eighth of October. Thursday, the eighth of October, um, is when we'll be playing them again, and hopefully, uh, if we get through that, we then play either Norway or Serbia. Is that right? Cancel and the games. Did anyone <laughs> see the Norway goals against Northern Ireland? Wait, oh I, my I, god! I am. So, so against these games happening next month in November for many, many reasons. Well, one anyway, of them let's... being Haaland is still fit is one reason, but um, that's, yeah. that's not the main one. Put it that way. He's fit like. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's our therapy um, about Scotland over. Let's get back to club football, please. Wonderful. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Listen to it totally ad-free via The Athletic. 
Alright, the Premiership returns. Here's the matches that are coming up this weekend. We've got Aberdeen, Kilmarnock, Livingston host Hamilton, Motherwell uh, hosts St Johnston, Rangers have got Dundee United, Ross County are at home against Celtic, and St Mirren against Hibernian. Aberdeen versus Kilmarnock and Ross County Celtic, guys, are going to have fans. Yeah, fans are back. Um, Laura will be delighted <laughs> to see that this is happening. But it's... Uh, it's a pilot to get people back into stadiums. What do you guys think of this news, first and foremost? It's obviously oh, really good. News. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Absolutely. I don't know how they're going to do it yet. Is there any, is there any information out just now about... Um, well, do you remember we... last week when we spoke to the Hebs operations manager? Yes, I do. <laughs> I um, meant more that literally how they're going to space them out in the stands. I've got no idea, but it's still going to be a weird atmosphere. But the, the, the biggest thing is it's just a step in the right direction, surely. Definitely. It's so positive, I think. Um, 300 fans is not a lot. Um, it's living some normal gate. They'll have all the space that they want <laughs> in the grounds. Um, it will be interesting to see how they manage the kind of entry and exit side of things. Uh, also, if they can make face masks mandatory, I think is another interesting point. I don't think anything's been mentioned on it, but I personally see that as a way to get more fans in quicker, to be mm-hmm. in closer proximity with each other. And if they implement that right from day one, I think it'll be easier than doing it somewhere later down the line. I am really I, I think excited w- to find out uh, whether the people who get in are going to be doing chants, first of all, which would be funny, right, because so few. But hearing the ones who are like, what the f- was that? You <laughs> oh, used yeah. this... F- that, it'll be really easy to identify them, which will be funny. But that yeah, was, gonna, was good. That's what I thought fans. was quite good about um, televised games um, without fans. If you didn't listen to it with the commentary, uh, sorry, with the with the fake crowd atmosphere that was added, yeah. you could really pick up who was the, who were the most vocal players, which I thought was actually quite interesting. But yeah, I really you're def- enjoyed that. Yeah. The thing is, you, you um, working in TV, you hear Scottish fans anyway in Scottish football. Doesn't really matter that there's going to only be three hundred. You'll just hear. I guess you'll just hear them more. Um, the 300, this is I think, Scotland. I the think players will be able to see where they are. are bet, like, do the players <laughs> ever speak to you, Laura, Motherwell? They must be able to hear folk individually in the crowd. Oh, yeah. Shit. yeah. The, the manager spoke about it quite a lot as well. He's got a fan that sits behind him uh, that constantly berates him over everything right? he does. Um, and it's almost like a kind of confidence booster for him, though, because he knows that he's still there. He's, he's not left yet. He's not given up on him. But um, I, think, I think fans will make a massive difference. Um, do, do you think we, it'll make an impact, Laura? Oh, definitely. Um, so we did. Um, we had our European game uh, week before last there, and we made the decision to filter through crowd noise into Fir Park for the game. And we experienced it at the away games we had at Ross County and Easter Road as well. And what we didn't quite like about them was the fact that it was quite generic, and it was just general cheers when the ball was maybe in the middle of the pitch and it wasn't really mm. specific to what was happening like you would get with Sky who's there's like literally somebody sitting there pressing a button so we decided to approach it in a different manner and we took footage from last season of the supporters with the drum singing, mm-hmm. chanting and singing actual Motherwell songs sometimes it was louder than others sometimes it kind of mulled down the way you would get in a normal game anyway and we played that on a loop we kind of recorded we put together about a half hour clip of that did it on loop and played it over the European game. I don't want to kind of say, yeah, that was the only game we've won this season. But the players and the management also commented on it afterwards on just how much it kind of gave the, the boys a not just a push, because obviously they all know it's fake. But I think it also gave some boys a wee bit of confidence for if they're not overly keen on shouting 
and being heard by everyone in the ground, let alone the coaches, it meant that they could then speak to themselves and their own teammates without mm. it echoing around the entire ground. So it maybe gave them a little bit of encouragement to, to speak up. Yeah, and every little yeah. bit helps, to be honest. Um, so in terms of getting actual real fans back in real reactions, I think is only going to be a positive thing. The, um, Benji, uh, that we had in the podcast a few weeks ago, said that Ross County have also got fake, fake crowd noise. Um, so maybe that will continue for them as well. JJ, have you done a tactical breakdown on the St Johnston team? I think you said you were going to do one. Uh, what's been working no, well for them? The two, well, the 2.1 did. Uh, they're they're back doing, you can subscribe to them and you get the like, Oh, uh, brilliant. Newsletter. I've been reading it. It's really, it's really, really good. Okay. And they've got a, a excellent analysis piece on St Johnston that was um, out recently about how uh, Cal Davidson's changed the way they've played, changed the system, and we're talking about how they're going to progress and what they're going to do. And he's gone like his, it's very trendy to have a back three at the moment, but that's what they're doing. But his is uh, based on this, like uh, Chris Wilder Sheffield United bit. With these overlapping centre backs, it's something mm-hmm. that Danny McNamara is. Uh, his name isn't it? The guy who got on loan from Millwall. That's right. Danny? Yeah, he's yeah fullback though. He's not exactly a centre half. No, that's it. But it's the, the the reason they've been trying to what he likes about it is that teams don't know how to press against it. So when he gets the ball at wing back, Jason Kerr, who's just a centre back, will, mm-hmm. will overlap um, McNamara, who's normally in the right, I think. So yeah. unless uh, one of their opposition players steps out it means that there's loads of space because they've basically created overloads. So you kind of you stack the wide areas with maybe 3v2 or 3v1 so you can be able to get loads of uh, crosses into the box for an opposing centre-back who's usually very good at heading it. The other thing that like what Wilder's team does is that when one of the centre-backs goes, the two midfielders kind of drop to protect the space that was there. So the attack is a 3-2-5, which is basically what Mrs. Uh, Johnson will be doing within the system just rather than having it just rather than like the, all the attackers being attacking players, some of them are defenders now. It's it's pretty cool. But well, so you've looked at it more. It could be a fluid system in a way. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to the Jubilee I like them. I think it's really good. And if you like the Scottish <laughs> stuff, it's a thing. Friend. <laughs> no, I mean you know, there's lots of just not. They are much very good. I, I Scottish, do like their tactical uh, set. Analysis stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, generally, I try. But, oh, yeah. cool, man. <laughs> uh, so, speaking to both of you now, what what game stands out for you out of that list? I think that would come on it for you, JJ. I suppose. Uh, oh, how did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, the Rangers Dundee United game. I think that's going to be a good one. Aye, that um, is good. Yeah. I don't think Dundee United have been back at Ibrox since they beat Rangers three one in the Scottish Cup semi final back in what was it 2014. Um, the day that Nadia Chiefchief celebrated before he hit the, the back of the net. There's a, there's a really good rivalry between Rangers and Dundee United. I think it's quite tasty, especially if, you can, uh, if you're not on one side of them. I think from a neutral perspective, I think it's really interesting to watch. And both teams always kind of put up a good fight against each other. Interesting. I'm quite looking forward to St Mirren against Hibs, actually, um, because I, I'm not too sure if Nisbet is going to be coming back. Kevin Nisbet's been out for Hibs for a wee while and... Ever since he's been out, they've they've changed their system. They were kind of looked quite regular to be a four four two, but since he's been out, they were a four one four one and then a three four two one against Aberdeen, and they lost that. They've, they've, that was their first defeat, and I think they're missing him a wee bit. I think they just they've not really. They, although they were doing well at the start of the season, it didn't seem like they were they were comfortable. So I think they haven't. They've only scored two goals in their last three games, um, but I wonder if St Mirren will will open up for them a little bit. They've been only two games at home, undefeated. 
But I just think that Hibs could have a bit more about them in this game because I think they'll, they'll want to get back to winning ways. I think that one will be interesting because if Hibs win that, I think they'll have a good couple of games coming up. Um, what about you, JJ, other than Aberdeen, come on, because that's going to finish 1-0, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do know that. I think I'm really excited to see what kind of noises we get from the fans that get into the stadium and to find out who actually gets in. Be interesting to see how Ross County get on against Celtic because they've been playing well and they've been playing in a different way to how they were last season. So there's every chance they could do something at Celtic who are about out of form at the moment. Uh, I, like Laura, am interested to see what Dundee United can do against Rangers, especially because Rangers still don't are still struggling to get that killer instinct into them that Gerrard's trying to put in. And uh, if Dundee United play as well defensively as they have done and will be set up to do then it could be the kind of game that frustrates them. It could be one of those that comes a nil-nil. It could also be like a four or five for Rangers. Uh, I just yeah. don't really know. Uh, and the, the other thing at Celtic, they've got another centre-back was come in, Shane Duffy. You watched him play much, Slavin? Uh, I've not seen much of him, but um, asking a few people about him, it, it looks like it could be a, a decent addition. I just wonder if, if him coming in opens the door for someone to leave. Like um, we heard from... Uh, Anthony a couple of weeks ago from Sky Sports saying that he's one of three Celtic players that might be looking for a move away uh, Christopher Iyer, that's who I'm talking about um, so I wonder if that, that opens the door for him and maybe a bit of money will be coming in for Celtic because Duffy's only on a loan, I don't know if there's a, a, a that's with the outlook of, of maybe bringing him in permanently next season but it looks like a good signing off the on paper anyway Let's let's actually look at Aberdeen properly a little bit um, against Kilmarnock. Uh, there's a bit of news there, isn't there, JJ? The, is it Craig Bryson's on the off? Uh, yeah, it looks like his contract's being mutually terminated. Um, he's come in, he was signed to be the next Shinny as a direct replacement and it just hasn't worked for him. I'm sure he can still play. Derby fans hold him in high regard, but uh, yeah, it's not really worked for him. Ominously, <laughs> the guys at Here We Go podcast, the... Uh, they spotted that he's played exactly 666 minutes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. He's oh gone dear. to the dark side now. Oh but um, yeah, there's dear. some some sort of train of thought that he might end up at Killy. So we shall see. We shall see. Um, yeah. I mean, we know it's going to be a 1-0 to Aberdeen. <laughs> if not, I, I don't know. Actually, I'd, li- I'd like to see how Kamarnik play for this because I need to pay some more attention to them and, and see what Dyer's doing with them this season. See what, see what like, see fit like can... Oh yeah, Kilmarnock do like their... Well, they, they just brought in Malumbu, didn't they? Um, they just brought him back for a third stint at Kilmarnock. So I'd, I'd be amazed if they would they would bring in uh, another veteran. Um, but anyway, looking forward to the weekend. I think we should get some odds now with Paddy Power. Abby, we've spent a long time in huge doubts over Scotland's quality, but what do Paddy Power say of their chances of actually qualifying for Euro 2020, even though it's in Euro 2021? Yeah, it'll still be called Euro 2020, though. Uh, Scotland are 3-1 to one to qualify for the Euro 2020 finals. Uh, Republic of Ireland are 11-4, and Northern Ireland are 4-1, to one, so that puts Scotland as the uh, second in that group. Yeah. Um, what about the Premiership? Uh, that's coming back. What are the odds of a 1-0 win for Aberdeen over Kilmarnock? Because that always happens for Aberdeen. It always happens, and uh, you'll be unsurprised to hear that that is the most likely score, according to Paddy Power. 1-0 to Aberdeen is 9-2. Aberdeen are 4-5 to win this match. Kilmarnock 7-2. JJ will be delighted. He will. Um, <laughs> what, what's the most surprising odds that you have on your site right now? On Paddy Power's website, I thought it was quite surprising 
that Motherwell was six to five to win, and uh, St Johnston are twenty three to ten, therefore making uh, Motherwell, I think, the favourites in that situation. Oh my God, we've serviced both of our guests today. Wow. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's also over 18s only. T and Cs apply. And when the fun stops, stop. You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. All right, fantasy football time. And it's double game week for St Mirren and Celtic. Uh, that was a match that the that St Mirren missed because Bolly Bolingoli was a very naughty boy. Uh, didn't tell anyone that he went and travelled. So you could captain Edward because he scored for the under twenty one. So he might play for Celtic this time round. Uh, and been yeah, out past couple of weeks. Reason that because he's on a yellow injury little icon, so we don't know for yes. sure. Oh, or Have even any better, other tips? or even better, Ryan Christie scored two goals, and he could be continuing to be on fire after this week. Let's. Let, I mean, the chances of Celtic getting penalties is very high. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if Christie's actually the main penalty taker for Celtic. He, he might be actually. Um, I think anyone else like, on your on, on your list? Well, the most sensible way to win points at the moment seems to be by having the best defenders in, and Rangers have the best defence. So mm. uh, stacking your team of Rangers, lads, is the way forward. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. The the Rangers boys have definitely made it the, the biggest difference the for me, and also vice captaining a Rangers player as well because you'll get double points depending on if he's keeping a clean sheet or scoring goals or whatever depending on his position on the pitch so I, I've been kind of in the habit now of captaining a Rangers player and vice-captaining him one because considering they haven't conceded yet it's getting me quite far up the table Oh my Yeah, you actually had a good week I got knocked off top spot really frustratingly I think Kieran Canning is now number one but I've got my eyes on him uh, well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for holding our hand through it all. It's been a month of uh, forgetting all about the Scotland national team. But until then, get in touch and let us know what you're liking and disliking about the podcast this season by tweeting at The Totally Show or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you're listening to us anyway. Uh, remember, you can get yourself an athletic 30-day trial by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Scottish show. Um, but for now, JJ and Laura, thank you both for being so wonderful and your analysis this week. <laughs> I don't mean to seem so condescending. Uh, but thank you also to the Little Kicks. Thanks to Abby, our wonderful producer. And thanks, most of all, to you for listening. We'll be back next week. Cheerio. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. And be sure to check out our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy News Media.